Yeah. I guess eat just eat my shorts or something. <laughs> On this episode of the Theologian's Table podcast, we pick up the discussion from our last episode and address how praying in the Spirit also means praying in tongues. We also push back on some cessationist arguments covering speaking in tongues and over-rationalizing the gifts of the Spirit. Also, I just want to remind you that if you would, please rate this podcast on whatever platform that you listen to this podcast on. And if you like the content, on this podcast, please feel free to share it on social media. Now let's get on with the show. You know, even though I've been to seminary, we're going to, I'm about to go in a completely different direction. Sorry. Um, One of the things that caught me off guard, Ephesians 6 verse 18, it just says praying. I think remember to pray in this at all times, pray in the spirit. Six, what? 18? 18. Yeah. Praying always with all prayer, mm-hmm. yeah, and supplications in the spirit, being watchful to this end, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it comes right. So people say it comes right after the armor of, of God, mm-hmm. but then I heard recently that it shouldn't be separated from the armor of God. Like it should be included with the armor of God. You have the armor of God, and now also be praying in the spirit mm-hmm. at all times uh and if if we if we if we take praying in the spirit to mean speaking in tongues then it should be a natural part of your spiritual life and so i thought that that was pretty interesting because one i didn't know that ephesians 6:18 ever existed even though i've read it sure right like a <laughs> Like I can't even tell you how many times I've read, yeah. I've read it. Yeah, yeah. But all of a sudden, it's like that verse like suddenly appeared in in the Bible out of nowhere. I love when that happens. Yeah, uh, me too. And so it, it's like there's there's biblical support for praying in tongues, and it's all throughout the New Testament. And just because tongues has been abused in the church doesn't mean that all that stuff dies off when the last apostle right dies off and okay so go ahead and and so we have we we serve we praise worship this huge god all right um who can do anything but we're not there's people out there not accepting everything that god has to offer and i and i, I want to know why thank you that's a very straightforward question like why not? Why would you not want all that God has to offer yeah. for you for for the whole church? I want all of it. If it's mm-hmm. a gift from God, I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, I need it, and I'll and I'll educate myself on uh-huh. it. You yeah, know, not, not just. I mean, we have a very uh, we have you know the Bible. It gives prescriptive, descriptive stuff that helps us in our worship of God and and speaking in tongues is one of those. Mm-hmm. And so why not want it? You know, if, if it, there's... it looks pretty beneficial to me, yeah. when I see it in operation. And Paul thinks pretty highly of it and we're going to get to that. And if he thinks highly of it, well, then 
maybe I should think highly of it too. Yes. If he thinks that he needs it, why in the world would I not need it? And 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 I would say this too, to your point, not just Paul, but Jesus mm-hmm. told his disciples who who he spoke to for three years, who lived with him, who all of that, you could go on and on. For three years, you live with mm-hmm. Jesus. And he says, don't leave this place and go and preach the word until you have the Holy Spirit. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Like he, he didn't trust them to go and preach the word without the Holy Spirit. Do not leave this place until you have the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Jesus himself said that. Right. So like being born again is amazing. It's 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 a cornerstone, you know, no pun intended. But like it's such a foundation. You have to you have to be born again to do anything. But what's next? Jesus said, you need to be filled with the spirit of truth because you're not going to be able to do all the things that they did in Acts without the Holy Spirit. Right. So Paul said it. Jesus said it. Why, why is this? Why are we acting like this is like, well, that's that group. No, this is the Bible. Right. I'm literally reading from the Bible. You mm-hmm. know, it's kind of important. <laughs> so so where where I was going, I was going to say this is what Jesus said. And I was going to say we were going to get to the uh, the Holy Spirit helping us in uh, when we don't know how to pray. I was going to get to that. We jumped early. It's totally fine. But yeah, so Acts, he, Jesus says, wait for the spirit of truth, right? Wait mm-hmm. for the Holy Spirit to come. So he does come on the day of Pentecost. And that is a monumental day. They're, they're all together in one place, which, by the way, a, a sad fact is that I can't remember the numbers here, but there were tons of people around when Jesus said, wait for the spirit of truth. And more than half, but not much more than half people were actually in the upper room, meaning other people just didn't wait. Right. So you're talking about like when he appeared to 500 people and only 120 were yes, in the upper that's room? that's it, 120. Yeah, only 120 were in the upper room, but he appeared to 500. Okay, yeah. so that was way off, less than half. Mm-hmm. Isn't that always the way it works, though? Yeah. 120 people, well, whatever the math is on the difference there, uh, is uh, thought there was maybe something else more important to do. That's a darn shame. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, guess who was in the upper room too? Think about this, man, Mary. Yes. Oh, man, you talk about comfort. She just watched her only, not only son, but the son from God. Yeah. Uh, miracle baby, just be whipped and crucified and died. Imagine how much pain she was in. Mm-hmm. And she received the Holy Spirit of truth. She spoke in tongues because she was with John, you know. Right. It's amazing. So she felt that. She felt the comfort of the, the Holy Spirit. Anyway, the Holy Spirit comes, Acts 2-2. They were all together in one place. The sound of a rushing mighty wind comes. The Holy Spirit's on the scene. So Jesus said, if I leave, then I can send the Holy Spirit. Well, this is him coming in the upper room in Acts 2. And they all spoke with other tongues. I like to quote scripture instead of just kind of improvise. Um, on the day of Pentecost had fully come, and there's some depth to why on Pentecost specifically. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, when it had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a mighty rushy wind, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire on one uh, sat upon each of them and one sat upon each of them. Excuse me. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's a huge phrase. As the Spirit gave them utterance, meaning they didn't just force it. Right. The Holy Spirit gave them this gift. He gave them the utterance. Okay. So I say that because some people struggle with the idea, like, well, what do I say? 
Yeah. Don't worry. Uh huh. You just open your mouth, allow the Holy Spirit to give you that utterance. All right. So what if you go to a church where they try to teach you what to say mm. in tongues? That happened to me one time. You know Did that? It? No. With the people I was, I won't say who it was, with people that I went to church with. We were in Pennsylvania on a mission trip and we were uh, having amazing time and, and we were praying for someone to receive the Holy Spirit. And this person that I was praying with was like talking to the person. He said, now say Shabaracha. And the guy was like, what? And I was like, oh, stop, stop, stop. Yeah. And I was like, that's not how you do it, dude. Uh -huh. And he was just like, that's how I was taught to do it. And I was like, who is teaching you to give them the, like, no. And so he mm -hmm. told me who it was and I talked to him and I was like, but that's not what you do, man. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, I would disagree. You don't do that. It's <laughs> I disagree. Not, it's not too. a science because my yeah. prayer language doesn't sound like yours. Right. Doesn't uh -huh. sound like probably anybody's uh -huh. because I'm a unique butterfly. <laughs> um, yeah, they were all filled with the whole. Okay, the spirit as the spirit gave them utterance. Uh, and so there were uh, Jews uh, dwelling in Jerusalem. So this is the Passover. Uh, no, not Passover. Hello, Pentecost. Um, but it is Passover feast. They're all still there from Passover, correct? Jews came from all different places where they were scattered, and they all came together in Jerusalem to eat Passover. I don't think it was Passover meal. I don't think it was Passover. Well, it was after Passover. Yeah. Passover was when Jesus was crucified. So what's the night? Is it is it just the day of Pentecost? There, there was some Jewish tradition about coming to Jerusalem. Yes, there to was. Celebrate yeah, Passover there was. There was a very important reason why we're, why they were there. And I alluded to it, but it's uh -huh. been a while since I've done a deep dive. But mm -hmm. they were there on the day of Pentecost. So Pentecost, there's so much rich, rich tradition in, in Judaism, when you understand the feast that they celebrated, even right on down to the food that they ate, there's yeah. such amazing kingdom principles in the way God designed. I know the reason why they were there, but I can't remember it. I've even written out a complete study uh -huh. on this passage, but for the life of me, but it's the day of Pentecost, but right. I don't, I can't uh -huh. fully articulate what they were celebrating. Right. There were just a lot of people there, yeah. <laughs> but from, from all over. So a lot of different uh -huh. languages, a lot of different dialects that people hear them speaking in other languages mm -hmm. that, that they were not used to hearing. And they're like, Hey, we can fully understand them. And they're talking, they're talking about like uh, the king or something like that. They're talking about the kingdom. Oh, okay. They were, so here's what they were celebrating. They were celebrating the Festival of Weeks. That's oh, it. Okay. It's a harvest celebration, which takes place 50 days after Passover. Mm -hmm. Yes, I... So this, they were all still there from Passover. Here it goes. All right. Mm -hmm. It is said that Pentecost was the second of three annual pilgrimage festivals. And if we fast forward to Acts 2, 9 through 11, it could be the reason for a large number of diverse people in Jerusalem at that time. On the other hand, other scholars suggest that the diverse Jews were Hellenistic Jews from the diaspora who came to settle in Jerusalem. But I think they were there because of the Festival of Weeks. Right, right. So strangely, though, the Pentecost celebration also developed into a festival that commemorated the giving of the law and the Torah and the renewal of the covenant. So the festival of weeks morphed into the giving, celebrating the giving of the law and the Torah to, for the renewal of the covenant for okay. the Jews. Uh -huh. Okay. That's why they were there. Okay. So the other point I wanted, I, I know where I'm at now. So it was, it's two, they're all speaking, they're all speaking in, in all these other, these different languages. So they say um, in 13, others were mocking and saying they're full of new wine. Yeah. These people are drunk. 
And Peter even has to say, we're not, these people are not drunk. This is the promise that was spoken by Joel. Right. You know, so the reason I want to point that out is because you could probably, you know, type, I haven't done this, but you could probably type in YouTube, crazy Pentecostal service. <laughs> and he would see people who look like they're drunk and, and Christians would look at that and be like, ah, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's just them. And look, I have seen some things that are like totally fake and not the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and it totally just a performance. I understand that there, there are differences, but most Christians today in, in America would probably look at a situation like this and say, that's not God because God doesn't do that. Right. No. Here mm -hmm. in Acts, they looked like they were drunk. Mm -hmm. So they were probably slurring and laughing hysterically, rolling around on the ground. Have you ever seen anyone so filled with the spirit they can't stand up straight? It's hysterical. Mm -hmm. It's the funniest thing. But this is God doing that. We talked about this before in, in another episode about how you'll, you'll be in a service and see crazy things and your mind is instantly like wants to be analytical. Like, oh, this yeah. This can't be yeah. real. This can't be God because mm -hmm. he would never, God would never do anything like that. That's nonsense. The, the scripture totally flips that on its head. No, this is what God did. Holy Spirit came and it was, how can you contain the gift of the Holy Spirit? It's amazing. So you, you, you don't even know what to do with it. You look like you're drunk. <laughs> I felt that. It's hysterical. It's so much fun. It's joy, you know? Yeah. So he, so Peter had, had to stand up and, and explain what it was. This was the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in that day, over 3,000 people uh, became Christians, were added to the church that day. So anyway, I say all that just to say, now this is the Holy Spirit chronologically. He comes and he's there. And, and then from that point on, the entire book of Acts, you see the Holy Spirit in demonstration. So I just want to hit a couple a couple points. Um, Acts 8, 5. I'm glossing over a lot here, and I hate to do that. So Peter's praying up on the rooftop, and he has a vision. You know, the vision of the sheet stretched out, all the yep. animals. do mm -hmm. not. And he hears the word that says, do not call what I've made unclean. Right. Meaning I am opening. There is no unclean. I'm now opening up this covenant to all Gentiles. And that's huge. There's the Holy Spirit doing that, you know? And he even told them uh, after the vision, he has an amazing open vision. And then the Holy Spirit tells him, hey, there's people coming for you. Right. It's okay. Go with them. Mm -hmm. The whole, then angel shows up to Cornelius, you know, and speaks with him. And then he has these specific, like, go on the road called straight. Yep. Wow. The Holy Spirit has a map. <laughs> seems simple, but it's like, this is amazing. So I'm glossing over that. And there's a lot more I could get into, but I want to make just a couple points here. Eight, five is what I said. Acts eight, five. So this is, uh, what's his name? Philip. Thank you. Philip, who's an evangelist. So uh, he is, he's preaching uh, to Samaritans. So it says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, which are half breed Jews. Right. Right. So not, not friendly with, with the Jews. They would, would they call them like full-on Gentiles? I know they were not friendly. They were very hostile to each other. But would they consider a Samaritan a Gentile? Oh, no better than a Gentile. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. So Jesus gives them the command, hey, preach this word in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the outermost parts of the world. So here, here is uh, Philip obeying the words of Jesus. So he went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did which is a confirmation of the word, right? For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Um, and he goes in and talk about Simon, who's a sorcerer. But the main point I want to get to was 
Um, here we go, 14, go down a little bit. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria, Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Why do that? You know, so 15, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. This gives us the exact reason why they came down. They hear, hey, Samaritans are, re are receiving the word of God. Can you believe this? This is crazy. <laughs> They're receiving Jesus Christ. Go send them to go, go down there. But uh, they, they went for them specifically to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Why wasn't it just good enough to be born again? Hey, they received Jesus. Good job, Samaritans. Kill it, Philip. Go out there and kill it. Good job. The end. Mm -hmm. No, they went out there because they knew this is the next step. They need to receive the Holy Spirit. Let's go help our brother who's getting them born again, who's preaching the kingdom. What's next? Receive the Holy Spirit. For as of yet, this is 16 now, for as yet they had not fallen, uh, he had fallen upon none of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands, the apostles had the, uh, the Holy Spirit that was given, he offered them money because he wanted it. You know, right. I want this power. So here's an unbeliever seeing something he's never seen before. He's laying hands on them. They're receiving the spirit, praying in tongues. And he's like, I want that. I say that just because it's cool to know that like unbelievers see this mm -hmm. and are blown away by this. So I point, I want to make that point because to your point, if this is a gift from God, wh why not take it? Why don't you want it? The, the early church, the apostles clearly thought this was important enough to send two of their biggest hitters to Samaria and, and lay hands on them so they can receive the spirit. They need this gift. That's, the, that's like, it's almost like you could say, what's most important? Uh, receive Jesus, repent of your sins. What's next? Receive the Holy Spirit. Once right. you're born again, what's next? Receive the Holy Spirit. You need this. This is a gift that you need. And it, it all, it, in my mind, this takes away the silly notion that it all it all passed away and, and the, the apostles. If that's true, why were the apostles praying for people to receive the Holy Spirit? This is your gift. Mm -hmm. No, they're, they're praying for other people to receive the Spirit. And there's, there's nowhere in Scripture that it says, and they told them, uh, this is just for you and for no one else. No, it, yeah, I want to say Peter even said it in the previous spot. He said, this is for your children, you know, and your children's children. This is, gener this is a generational thing. Uh, so if it really was just Jesus giving the apostles the spirit of truth, they would be wrong to continue to impart the Holy Spirit if it was just for them. Mm -hmm. It's not. This is for the world. The Holy Spirit was given for the world. Right. Do you want to comment on that? Uh, no, I mean, uh, I agree with you. Um, uh, and there's, you know, some rabbit holes that you can go down with church history. But really, going to your point about the children uh, and, and their children, the generational thing, like when a man got saved— his family, his household would also get saved. Mm -hmm. And so obviously that includes his children. And so restoration of humanity isn't complete. And uh, we, we know that because we're still evangelizing. Mm -hmm. We're still going out, sending out missionaries. Yeah. There's still on um unreached places in the world never heard the word who's who've never you know heard the word and yeah. you need to be empowered to bring that word um oh, yeah you need to be empowered to minister and part of that is the gifting of the holy holy spirit yeah and tongues is is part of that 
Yeah. Whether you like it or not. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I glossed over the one thing you just hit there that Jesus said, uh, uh, he said, uh, wait for, for this gift. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, you will receive power. Right. Referring to the Holy Spirit, you will receive power. And after that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then you will be witnesses to me. And then you will be witnesses to me after you receive the spirit. That sets up that Acts 1, 8 sets up the roadmap for the book of Acts, but it sets up the roadmap for the rest of history for Christians, Mm -hmm. the ends of the, with the ends of the earth. Yes. Yes. And you need the filling of the Holy Spirit to help make that happen. And the Spirit is going to manifest itself in ways that aren't rational. That's what I wanted to hit on. You cannot reduce the work of the Holy Spirit to be completely rational. Yes. You you, You cannot rationalize away the work of the Holy Spirit. Not everything comes down to pure reason. So it may seem like speaking in tongues is unreasonable. Here, human beings are not reducible to reason. There is another side to us, a spiritual side, a profoundly mysterious side that is no less real. And spirituality is valuable. Arguably, the deep inner workings of the human heart and soul are where humans encounter ultimate meaning and transcendent purpose in their earthly existence and beyond. Dr. Tony Ritchie. That's very well said. Yeah. So I uh, love that you said that. That's so good. And we want to, but the thing is, is that we want to reduce it to reason because it is so strange. And it's kind of paradoxical in a way because we believe in a God who created the universe, the heavens and the earth and and the seas and everything in them. But that's weird, okay? Admit that that's strange. So wait a minute, you're going to stop there? Mm. (laughs) Right, right. Why? Why? It's Yes, speaking in in tongues is is strange. Uh Being baptized or slain in the spirit is weird. It's strange to the eyes. Mm-hmm. It's strange to the eyes who, <laughs> who are used to living in in the fallen in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. Okay, but so what? You already believe in a God, a, 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 a spiritual supreme being, if you want to use those words, who set up the order of the universe, who created everything, who incarnated Himself into Jesus Christ. Okay, and but you're gonna stop there, right? Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense yeah. to me. But everything else is rational. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that's somehow rational. But speaking in tongues is not is weird all of a sudden. Yeah. Okay. That's that's a fantastic point, and I I had alluded to this in, in a previous episode talking about oh shucks I forget his name again. Anyway, uh, a, a theologian, um, really smart guy, but he, he was he was talking about how uh, the Garden of Eden could have not been real, how, you know, it, it's 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 not really possible for, you know, for God to create all of this, uh, like at the snap of a finger, it, it would it would need a, a very long evolution, evolutionary process and all that stuff. So he goes in all this what he considers to be very rational thinking. 
Yeah. And then the person who was who was kind of criticizing that was saying, well, wait a minute. What about all of the rest of scripture that 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 talk about like, how about Noah? How about how about the, the waters uh, uh, with Moses parting? How about all of the plagues coming up? How about like a casual read through the Old Testament? You don't see a, a miraculous God who does things that like boggle the mind. Mm-hmm. Don't rationalize everything. I think it's mm-hmm. fine to ask questions. I, all, like I said, all the stuff about creation and all that is interesting. But I, I do think it's funny that it's like the, you, you say like you're, you're a Christian. Like, well, what do you about the whole tongues thing? Ah, oh, that's crazy weird. You know, I don't like any of that stuff. And it's like, really? But you're fine with Noah. And that whole story, you're totally comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. But the Holy Spirit is weird. Like, accept it all. Right. Right? That's why you said you're someone who prays in tongues. And I said, I'm a full-on weirdo. <laughs> I, I literally believe all the things in, in the yeah. Word. I do. I honestly believe it. You know? And I, I've seen, or I've heard, you know, how many miracles did did Jesus uh, perform where, where uh, limbs grew out, you know? Mm-hmm. Where people were miraculously... Rationalize that for me. That's literally not possible. In a scientific, uh, true world, you know. Anyway, I hope I didn't derail it too much, but I love that you use the. As I'm tired of rational Christians uh-huh. who are just so rational about everything, and it's like, how how can you be a, a completely rational and and be a believer? Everything begs you to tell you that you are weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, God get uh, we were created with the brain, absolutely supposed to think through things. Wisdom, however, is both can be both spiritual and worldly, uh, but it's never just worldly. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, you know we we've created things through science. I would argue that uh, part of that has to do with the sovereignty of God and the the guidance of the Spirit. But you want to talk about man centered theology? That's it. Where Everything is, is rational and reducible mm-hmm. um, to where suddenly you have to have a, a stopping point of of what you can accept of, of who God is and what he does. I feel you're going to twist yourself into a pretzel if you if you try to see that stopping point. Right. Why? Uh, where do you see that con- consistently? But li- like I said, I, I think a, a big part of it is that why why do we not see miracles and signs and wonders in, in so many churches? Because they never emphasize it. Mm-hmm. Say, well, that stopped. Well, what what tells you that that stopped? Nothing really. I mean, I, I've heard there's a, a scripture. I can't remember off the top of my head what it is. But, but in, in any case, why is it happening over here? Because uh-huh. they're emphasizing it. Uh-huh. You know, they're actually praying for instead of just saying... I don't know why I'm not seeing it, so I'm going to create a doctrine that explains why I don't see it anymore. I think that's really what it is. Yeah. I think that's the sovereignty <laughs> issue. That's the healing issue. That's the spirit of God issue. That's tongues issue. When you see the church not agreeing on any of those things, it's because they've created doctrines that that uh, that, that help their experiences. Mm-hmm. Because this didn't happen or did happen, I'm now going to create a doctrine that fits where it all fits perfectly. But as soon as you start asking real questions, you're like, that doesn't fit. That's a pretzel. Uh-huh. You're back where you started. <laughs> like, no, like I don't see it ending. I don't. Right. I don't see it ending at all. The verse that you're talking about that I th- I think you're you're talking about is in 1 Corinthians 13. 
and it goes i think it's from 8 to 13 is what they use it's the end of the love section mm-hmm. when i was oh. a child i Gene- why am i in a geneva bible holy cow Gen- hey that's what the pilgrims took with them right Pro- and they have a geneva bible? yeah yes probably i i, I most likely <laughs> uh so when i was a child i reasoned like a child when i became a man i i gave up childish ways for now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face now i know in part then i shall fully known then i shall fully know even as i've been fully known so but it's it's where where there are tongues they will cease yes where where there are are, are tongues okay here we yeah here we go now i want go ahead and i'll I'll make a point while you're looking that up unless you find it if you find it stop Um, okay yeah so (laughs) sorry sorry (laughs) you're good Uh, love never ends as for prophecies they they will pass away as for Mm -hmm. tongues they will cease as for knowledge it will all it will pass away for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away so people say that hey they're talking about when the canon of scripture is closed and we have the Bible, then that's how that's when all that stuff passes is supposed to pass away. But it says when the perfect comes, you can say scripture is perfect. I I, listen, I'm not going to divinely inspired um, all that good apologetic stuff. But what Paul, this is an eschatological passage, this whole passage has to do with eschatology has to do with the second coming of christ right because even though the kingdom is in me and the kingdom is in you and we're Mm -hmm. called to bring the kingdom to the earth it will never fully come until jesus makes it right right until he opens the seals Mm -hmm. until he undoes the seals and then opens the scrolls and puts an end to it and of his kingdom which he sets up on the earth there will be no end that is the fullness of the kingdom so this is what paul is saying we we know things in part We've received the kingdom in fullness, but it's only really in part on the earth because this is still a fallen world. But what throws a wrench in that theory is uh, is the idea that you're saying, okay, tongues will pass away. But he also says knowledge will pass away. So, So if you're saying tongues passed away... Did knowledge pass away then? Right. No, of course not. Uh-huh. That's not what he's referring to. Uh-huh. He's referring, yeah, like you said, it's, it's an eschatological. Eschatological, yeah. Really so a, a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And I don't know about you, but I haven't seen Jesus face to face Right, right. Yeah. Even with the Bible. Yes. Uh-huh. But we will. We will. We will, yeah. will set up his kingdom uh-huh. on the earth. But it's that. But there's also another one. Uh, I, I can't remember what it is, but... Um, like I said, I, I don't, I don't buy into that idea that it was all done. I, that it was all done away with by, by the death of which apostle, because, okay, these apostles were putting their hands in other people and they were being filled with the spirit. They were passing it. So what is what, when those people died, it was like, John was the last one to right. die uh-huh. after him. Wait a minute. What about those people who were filled with the spirit? They lost the gift after that. Right. They didn't pass it on to their children. This is a pretzel. No. Yeah. I don't I think you're not you. I'm just saying I, I think that, that people are really in error when they do that. Yeah. And you still, even after the last apostle dies, if we say it, it, it's John, I mean, but there's there were also if we say apostles, a person who's seen Christ risen from the dead, like physically encountered. And Which that's Paul did not. He did. He did? On the road to Damascus. Well, yes, but that was after he died. 
He was still a resurrected. I'm talking about the resurrected Christ. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, that's what an apostle is. Somebody who has seen the resurrected Christ. Okay. But some of those include not the 12 original disciples. And we don't know how old they were. Mm -hmm. But then even if you go into another uh, Christian book that was written shortly after the death of John by the name of uh, Clement, Clement yeah, of Rome. Of Rome, yeah. He was, the he was writing to the Corinthians who got crazy again. Yeah, go figure. But they were still speaking in tongues. Yeah. And there were still tongues happening. Um, that's, that's to my point. Right. You know, they're, they're, the, these apostles are coming and laying their hands on people to uh -huh. receive the Spirit. They're, they pray in tongues. I mean, so they now have the gift of, of the Holy Spirit. It just seems like you're narrowing, like these people are narrowing it down to like, mm -hmm. well, it's the apostles. Like, no, the apostles gave the gift to other people. Right. And then specifically in Corinthians, here, here Paul is telling you, hey, there's a lot of praying in tongues. There needs to be an order in the church of praying in tongues. Yeah. Why would he give them all that direction if, if it's done when they're done? Uh -huh. I, I, I think he'd just be like, okay, here's some order. And you think he would say, oh, by the way, if your children want to know what this is, if this is done when you die, which he never says, I think that would be pretty important for him to say. I'm going to give you this order. Here's how it should be done in this church. But after you're dead, your kids will have no idea what you're talking about. Right. They never experienced it because the time of the apostles is over. Uh huh. That's nonsense. No, right. he's giving them this instruction for the church, for the next generation as well. Yeah. And I mean, you have examples of people all throughout recorded instances in documents written down of people all throughout history speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I guess eat, just eat my shorts or something. <laughs> there you go. Uh, there's another one too, but it, it's it's kind of to the same point. I'm trying to find where it is. I, once again, I apologize. I should have been able to find this. But there there is a uh, there's a place when Paul and Barnabas. Oh, we have the Holy Spirit speaking, by the way. Thirteen in other places, of course, but in uh, Acts thirteen, this is where uh, thirteen two. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, this is the early church. The Holy Spirit said, "Now separates me, uh, Barnabas and Saul." For the work which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed. There we go. See, we see the early church fasting. We see them praying. We see them separating time, uh, uh, separating themselves for a time to hear from God. And this is when the Holy Spirit speaks. Or maybe better said, this is when we can readily identify the voice of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to say that the Holy Spirit is sitting there waiting to speak. <laughs> you know, you haven't fasted long enough. You know, I think it's our ability to hear from him. That's what um, affects that. Anyways, so you see the Holy Spirit working and working. But the point that I wanted to make was that Jesus meets, uh, Jesus, Paul meets these people who are disciples. And he says, did, did, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit to receive. And so he lays his hands on them and they speak with tongues. Right. Very specifically says that. Mm-hmm. And everything about the ministry of, of uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas and then eventually Paul and Silas was a, a demonstration of the Holy Spirit, was was tongues, was all that stuff, was miracles, amazing power of God. These were men who knew who they were in Christ. Uh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit just demonstrated the power or confirmed the power that was in them. 
Anyway, so those are some things in Acts that I wanted to point to. We could go to 1 Corinthians 14 if you wanted to, just to kind of hit some things. Maybe, or go in whatever direction you feel like you need to right now. With with 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is, <clears throat> is, is setting that up because spiritual gifts and so much so many things were getting abused in, in the Corinthian in church. A lot of crazy things are happening in the Corinthian church and there's abuse of the Lord's Supper and now there's abuse with the gifts of the Spirit. So basically everybody was using the gifts of the Spirit as a way to signify how much more holier they mm -hmm. they were than those who weren't yeah. exhibiting them. There, there's no love there, exactly. right? That's yeah. the reason for the love chapter there. Yes. Um, and then he gets in directly after that in, into the order um, because there was it was disorderly, and that was probably that was prohibiting spiritual growth, and it was probably prohibiting local growth of the church as well. And so things were being abused. And I just think that people, Christians who have uh, a cessationist view, the, the Holy Spirit and the gifts is because of abuse. Mm -hmm. And they've seen so much abuse Absolutely. that they've, if we're going to use that pendulum thing, they've swung totally the other way. Yeah. And there, and there was, there's abuse all throughout church history too. If we talk about the Montanists in it was either the second or third century church where prophecy was a big thing for them, but only they could prophesy. Mm -hmm. And they would get like really hyper about it too, like ecstatic, I guess, but to, to an extreme um, to where, you know, it was pro probably uh, phony. And then some of the things that they were saying were going outside of what the apostles taught. So it was again, it went against apostolic teaching and preaching. Sure. Um, and then if you go down into like the 17th century, 17th or 18th, there was, I believe they were French, this French movement of uh, charismatics where they would nail themselves to to the to a cross and like reenact all that stuff and then like have these um bizarre like cult-like experiences that they said that there were charismatic movements of the spirit but mm. i really think that they were just looney tunes and uh, sort of abusing um <clears throat> all, all of that type yeah. of thing but to say that that represents the whole to say that would would that type of enthu enthusiasm, they were called enthusiasts, mm -hmm. represents all of charismatic or Pentecostal Christianity and therefore is phony, is like completely short-sighted yeah, um, and reductive, frankly, to the sovereignty and the activity of God in the present world. Mm -hmm. So, yep. And, that, and that, I think that's why the, the word of God needs to be the, um, the straight edge uh, mm -hmm. uh, by which you compare everything, mm -hmm. you know, the canon of scripture really needs to be the plumb line, right. so to speak, because the tendency is to, the tendency for people is, is to, to get into pride, to say, look how holy I am. You know, like you were saying, they were comparing, uh, not comparing, they were like competing for 
uh, look how holy I am. I'm, I'm praying loud and I'm praying more. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm giving this like, thus saith the Lord sort of prophecy. And it's all pride. And it's all an elevation of self. And, and, and it would be easy to, it would be easy for that to turn into a three, three ring circus in a heartbeat. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it looks like, it seems like here in Corinthians, a lot of things have become, like you said, the, the communion was, was, was completely destroyed. Uh, the practice of, of right. the communion meal. And uh, so you had to put things in order. So this is why this is so important is that uh, the tendency is, is to see things like that and say, it's all nonsense. Just forget it. But here, Paul is, is putting things in, into practice uh, into order here in, in first Corinthians, where he says, um, if I, if I come into a place where there's a congregation where there's lots of you and I'm praying in the spirit, he even says, my spirit is edified, which means built up. Mm -hmm. I'm built up. So personally, he's saying, when I pray in, in tongues, I am personally edified. But none of you have any idea what I'm saying. So it's causing confusion. Right. Yeah. And he even brings up the point here in verse eight. He says, um, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? You know, so you likewise, unless you utter by the tongue, uh, tongue words e easy to understand how will it be known what is spoken for you will be speaking into the air uh, so in tongues you know it's, you don't understand what they're saying so you're not really edifying anybody so 11 he says therefore if i do not know the meaning of the language i shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he will be a foreigner to me so he, he's making the main point here i think in, in of this is in verse 12 where he says even so since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Mm -hmm. This is the main point. He's not saying, he's not breaking this down and saying to guys, stop praying in tongues. Enough. Right. That's mm -hmm. not what he's saying. He's saying the whole point here is to edify the church. If you don't have love for the church and edifying each other, then you're just edifying yourself. The spotlight's on you. You're just performing. It's all pride and there's no love in that. So there is a time to pray in the spirit and there is a time to speak in regular English. Right. You know, and what what is what is the time? Edification. If we want edification for the body, you have to make it clear what you're saying. Uh, and I was going to say this. I don't want to break down the entire thing because we could get into it. But uh, verse 15, I love that he says this. What is the conclusion then? So I'm glossing over a lot of the points that he made and I hate to do that. But uh, he said, I will pray in the spirit. <laughs> That's his conclusion. I will pray in the spirit and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing in the spirit. I'll also sing with understanding. That's his conclusion. I, I heard there's a church here. I won't say what it is. There's a church here in Canton that my father-in-law visited. And the head pastor was saying, you want to pray in tongues? Just do that at home. That's, we don't do that here. I'm like, that's not what the Bible says, Mr. Pastor, you're just throwing all of this away. Uh -huh. You're throwing all of it away, probably because of a bad experience. But he says, this is the conclusion. I will pray in the spirit. I will sing in the spirit. But I'll also do it in understanding. Right. I want to make that point clear. He's not just saying, let's get rid of all this. And there's a point in here where he says, I thank my God that I pray in tongues more than all of you. Okay, so Paul here is saying, and actually he's not just saying more than John and more than Sally over there. I pray in tongues way more than them. That literally means I pray in tongues more than all of you combined. Mm -hmm. That's what he's saying. So Paul was a missionary, uh, and so he walked a lot yeah. on these Roman roads, and he sailed a lot. 
And so what was the key to so much of his success besides his just drive, his uncanny drive and uh, passion for the, the kingdom was he was probably praying in tongues like nonstop while he was walking. You know, because you can pray under your breath. I can I can even pray in, in my mind. I don't have to even speak it out. And so Paul was probably just praying in the spirit for churches, for people. You know, he even says at the beginning of every letter, I never stop praying for you. Right. Never stop praying for all, all uh -huh. of my, the churches that I've established. And you hear his love and affection. He's praying for these people all the time. He's also probably meditating on what Jesus said. He's meditating on the law and the prophets and where does Jesus fit in all of this? So he's got time to think about this. Um, but it, therefore he says, I pray in tongues more than every single one of you. So anyone who wants to, to say tongues is not for today, that's nonsense. That's not his conclusion. Right. That's not what he came to say. But yeah, so he says, uh, just briefly, verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Yeah. So uh, what's another what's another little thing he points out here? Okay. So if anyone speaks, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in 27. For if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three at each in turn, and then let them interpret, let someone interpret. If there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. So does not put someone at the head and says, I'm more spiritual than you. I'm speaking God's word. You listen to me. No, he says specifically, judge what that prophet is saying. Yeah. You need to judge it. And I don't know if I've said this before on on the podcast, but that, that reminds me of something a, a Greek uh, Eastern Orthodox priest said, that, hey, we, we do prophesy, but we wait until we and, and to see if uh, at least two or three people mm -hmm. have 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 been given the, the same thing. And so that's like a, a continuation of that order. And I, I think, listen, I'll say this till the cow comes home is that uh, God is a God of, of paradox. Like mm. you can hold two truths at the same time and let the tension exist between them. Um, you can say the spirit uh, inspires, um, you know, in, in worship, it gives you the, the, the gift of tongues and prophecy. All right. That's you can call that spontaneous, but he's also a God of order. So there's right. order in it too. And right. those two things are somehow often interpretive, interpretive as, as counterintuitive or, or separately, but no, the Bible is always clearly demonstrating again god is multifaceted mm. so you can hold two truths together at the same time yeah uh -huh. and we're seeing it here in first corinthians 14. yeah and, and that's great and we when we did the bible study together um the bible project study mm -hmm. they even had the illustration of like a diamond yeah holding a diamond up and, and seeing all the different facets of the word but it, it's still being the word Right. But you you have to turn it to see all the different facets. And I think even in your life, uh, my opinion of, of God's word um, just expands and expands and expands. And the more it expands, the more I realize, boy, I have more questions than answers. Yeah. And one one of the things that I like, um, I, I like ministers who, who are not afraid to live in, in the middle of that tension, you know, who are not afraid of some of these some of these questions that people have. And they have themselves a lot of questions. Yeah. Well, why, God, why did this then? That's okay. I, it, it, it says this here, but it also says this here. These seem like opposite ideas. Mm -hmm. There's some tension there. And I think the tendency is for me to say, uh, 
uh, let's talk about something else. N- not nothing to see here. You know, <laughs> yeah, but really, I think it's important to stay in that tension. It is, and, and listen, there's some scandalous things in the Bible. Uh, Brian Zahn brings up a point in his book about the Lord's Supper and how Jesus talks about it in John six about you know drinking his blood and eating his flesh. He's like, mm-hmm. that sounds uh, very scandalous, and we've got ways of like interpreting it and yeah blah, blah. he's like no nah, just let the scandal stay there because he he said it twice uh right i love that he that he, he didn't try to like no 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 i i don't i don't mean you know i don't right that. <laughs> he was just like no i'm gonna say it again unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you have no part of me jesus the provocateur yes uh and so um yeah i i think uh i i think this is a clear example of just that that paradox that we need and the united states is is one of the 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 united states and christianity is one of probably the best tests of paradox in a christian person's life that i think has ever existed and and maybe when a christianity was made into an official religion of rome because we have this uh, country where we can, Christians have the freedom to vote, whereas that didn't always exist. Hmm. And so now we live in this tension of, okay, so there's a separation of church and state, but I still want my leaders to be Christian. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't want to force my religion on anybody else but my religion is also the best thing for other people so how how do you but also when christian gets in bed with politics it turns into a a state religion and so how do we which which that's the real meaning uh, of separation church right it it doesn't mean you can't Uh talk about jesus it's stupid right so how do we say we want our our leaders to be christian without making it look like uh, a, a state religion as well. And so there's a whole bunch of tension there between being a faithful Christian to a, a faithful disciple of Jesus. I'll mm-hmm. say that a, a, a biblical new Testament Christian, whatever. And, but also having this freedom to vote and, and, and having this freedom of having uh, Christians in, in in a political office. Yeah, and, and I, I would say to that point, uh, not to make it more convoluted, but he, here's something that I, I, str- I, the tension that I see and maybe struggle with is the, the idea uh, of, of someone, someone saying something negative about a politician, whether it be the president or speaker or vice or whatever. Uh, I'm not saying any specific administration, I'm, I'm just saying in general. You speaking, you saying, I don't like this. I don't want you to do this. This is wrong. This is not what we need to do. I've seen other Christians say, hey, we don't need to do that. We're supposed to just pray for them. Well, yes, the Bible does say pray for those in authority, you know, mm-hmm. that, that you that may, may um, that we may live quiet, peaceful lives. So that's the will of God, live quiet, peaceful lives. But any criticism is sometimes seen as that's bad. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, we live in a representative government, right? It's not a monarchy here. Mm-hmm. So they represent us. If you understand how that works, you should 
I'm not talking about rip them apart, like up and down. I'm just saying like, if they are not representing what you stand for, you should speak out against that mm-hmm. because they're supposed to be representing you. There's room in our democracy to do that. But how do you do that in love? Yeah, that's a tension. That's kind of hard to do. Mm-hmm. I, I think if you're praying for that person, I mean, really praying for that person uh, instead of just, you know, generically praying for them. And you really do have a heart of love. That heart of love almost makes you be like, I don't, I, I love, I love you too much to do so much damage to our country. I love my country for you to do so much damage. So I'm going to call it out. Mm-hmm. But my tendency is to just be like, I don't like calling. I don't want to go on Facebook and just see political, political, political. And so my tendency is to say, yeah, we don't need to do that. We as a church don't need to do that. Well, wait a minute. This is a representative government. We're the church. We're supposed to be the light to the world. So we we do need to stand for what's true very clearly and call out, you know, fill in the blank when we see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's another tension that I struggle with, you know. Um, I think, like I said, my tendency is to almost be like a peacemaker. So when I see pastors like, oh, no, I don't post any of that stuff. And I'm like, well, maybe you should. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should maybe take a real clear stand and say this is not a biblical principle. I'm not voting for this guy because this is bad, whatever. Do that without creating um, more chaos. Right. It's hard to do. It is. I really think like this country is a test from God. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. To to his covenant people so yeah so there's there's this there's constantly the this tension and this tension exists in prayer it exists just being a a christian in in the world but it also doesn't escape your your spiritual life either there that there's a purpose for the tension Mm -hmm. and that is to to grow in, in in maturity to trust god and to, to trust God, but also to see all of the different facets of God. Right, as soon yeah. as you think you figured God out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, I mean, right. If you, there's a, there's a sermon there. Yeah. So, but we're at 242. Okay. Now. Um, I think I've said the main uh, points that I want right. to say. Yeah. So we could do some clo- closing thoughts. I guess, I guess I'll, I'll start. I'll just say that this is important, N- not just tongues, because I, I feel like uh, I feel like I feel like you could you're too narrow if all you do is just is just talk about tongues or not just talk about what am I trying to say? Uh, it is if you see the Holy Spirit um, as just like tongues. Well, I don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit because I don't understand tongues. Well, I just talked the whole first section was things that Jesus said the Holy Spirit does, and none of which were specifically about tongues. Mm hmm. You know, what does he do? He helps. He's our, our helper. He's our friend, our advocate, wants to help us in everything, wants to lead us in truth, wants to remind us of the word we know, enlighten us, enlighten the eyes of our understanding. The greatest advocate you could have ever asked for. And Jesus gave it to us. Mm-hmm. And I think if I could make a large scale thing to the church, I, I would broad sweeping thing, I would say, we desperately need more ministers to teach on what the whole, what the Holy Spirit does, who he is, what are his activities. Stop making it so confusing. You know, it's really not. I mean, it, and I hit the main ones. There's tons more mm-hmm. all throughout the book of Acts and, and, you know, even more things that Jesus said that, um, that illustrate the power of the Holy Spirit. And you need that power. I need that power in my life. Um, 
and, and, and I, we talked about a lot of practical things. I need the Holy Spirit's help to know. Um, here's an interesting one. If if I if I need to cast out this demonic spirit in somebody, or if I need to pray for healing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Jesus healed them, and sometimes it was a spiritual thing, and he cast out the demon. Mm-hmm. You know. So I need the Holy Spirit to know the difference. Yeah. I don't know what's going on in the uh-huh. spirit realm, right. but I need the Holy Spirit. I need it to be practical. I need, I will say this, the church needs to be able to answer very straightforward questions. What is the Holy Spirit? Is mm-hmm. it an it? Is it a he? What does he do? You know, And for the church just to say, well, look, we can just say Jesus called him the helper, which means paraclete and very no nonsense answers, very clear, practical answers. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is what tongues is. It's a heavenly language, you know, but it's also there's an order to it in the church. Certainly in your in your own prayer life, you know, it might look like this, but in public, it might look like this. There's, so read Corinthians, first Corinthians 14. And, and there's still questions here in first Corinthians 14. I don't fully understand referring to tension. Uh-huh. Um but I think just as a closing thought, I would say, man, if, if you're if you're not filled with the spirit, uh, that's a gift you need to seek. You know, yeah, it, it, it's a gift from God and it, it will enhance your life more than, than you can even imagine. So let's take all the the weird away from it. Whatever your experience was, if you're able to if you're able to look past some of that and able to set some of those things to the side and just get down is what I always say. Bare bones, get down to the bare bones. What does the Bible say about everything. That's what I want to know. I don't care what your experience was. Right. I don't mean to be rude, but I just, <laughs> it's far down the list of importance. Uh, yeah. What is the, what does the word say is the most important? I love the Holy Spirit. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure we'll mention many, many more activities of the Holy Spirit in future podcasts, but I at least wanted to spend one where we just kind of hit some main points mm-hmm. about the Holy Spirit. So yeah, that was what I had. All right. So here's what I'll say. <laughs> and this is, I think these are Good closing points. Dr. Ritchie offers in his book. Um, he says there's more to reality than language can explicitly articulate. The language can creatively shape reality. But speaking in tongues puts us in touch with this side, uh, with uh, the spiritual side of ourselves, and with the the imago dei, which is the Im- image of God in us. Mm. Uh, who created us. So it put, puts the, the, the image of God in us in touch with God. Mm-hmm. And it help, speaking in tongues helps us articulate even if we don't understand it. It's the mm-hmm. Spirit interceding for us. And then a message to my fellow Pentecostals via Pastor Sandra Kay of North Cleveland Church of God. She's the pastor of prayer ministries. She says... As Pentecostals, we must do theology in love, do ministry in love, do marriage in love, do family in love. We must do community and seminary in love. She adds, the absence of love will make all the doing in vain. Let us desire spiritual gifts, but especially let us as Pentecostals or Christians in general, Mm -hmm. let us be marked by love. So that's where I'll end. That's good. Mm-hmm. She was also a classmate of mine. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, I guess that's all we have to say. I think that this will be a split episode again. I imagine so. <laughs> seeing as that we're reaching the three hour mark. And th- I remembered now uh, mm-hmm. that was one of the things I was trying to say 
when we first started, I had that mm-hmm. long pause and I was like, what was I going to say? It was that I wanted to know um, if, if the listeners or watchers prefer cut episodes or prefer the long, long form. Mm-hmm. I think we'll probably just end up continuing to split it. Yeah. But I'm just curious for my own curiosity. If you like uh-huh. long form conversation instead of having it split, let me know. Right. may not do anything for you <laughs> but i'm just curious yeah and you can you can email uh and the email will be in the description of this episode so or episodes rather yeah um but until then god bless and keep learning praying tongues and praying tongues peace out